Brady. This is Club Hell. Thanks for coming, kids. Hey, Hello. This is Notes from the Back Row. A cinema podcast of commentary, questions, answers, dreams, fears, joy rides, hell rides, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Welcome to another episode of Notes from the Back Row, a podcast like no other with different cinematic subjects and themes in every episode, from roundtable discussions to interviews, themed segments, and more. My name is Dan Gorman, and as always, I'm here with... Carlo! And it's another episode of our sub-series, Hoser Horror, where we talk about Canadian horror films. If you go to back-row.com, you can find more episodes of Hoser Horror, You can find other episodes of the podcast like episode 31 by Veronica, which was an interview with Anja Merman on the film Unintended. And you can also find text and essays like the recent article by Jenna about Honey Boy, The Souvenir, and Pain and Glory. So backdashrow.com, go there. You can find all the stuff there. It's a great website. (laughs) (laughs) We think so. So today on Hoser Horror Podcast, we are talking about mind melting ripoffs, what the fuck classics and films that maybe have a bit of some other films in them. Uh, one of them, I, I knew it was a ripoff because that's the first thing anyone ever says about it. But the other one, like watching it this time, I, I picked up on some stuff. I'm like, oh, OK, I see what they're doing here. Yeah, totally. It's a little bit more obfuscated what maybe it's Mm. taking from because it's its own thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, before we get right into it, I just want to say check out Canuxploitation.com and also on Backdash Row, you can find our interview with Paul, the creator of Canuxploitation. We generally source a lot of our information from there because it's a great resource. So we want to make sure that we mention it as much as possible. So now we'll get to the movies, and we are going to start with Kathy's Curse. Meet the gimbal's daughter, Kathy. See through Kathy's eyes. Just when you thought horror films reached an intensely shocking peak of terror, here is Kathy's Curse. What do you do when unexpected horror erupts all around you? Kathy just wants to play with you, but please, don't take her dolly. (laughs) Kathy is sugar and spice and everything nice. She just likes to keep her company entertained. Come to Kathy's house. She's waiting for you. She seems to be running out of friends. Kathy's curse. She has the power to terrorize. Rated R. From 1977, starring Randy Allen, Alan Scarf, Beverly Murray, and more. Directed by French filmmaker Eddie Madelon. Uh, This movie was filmed in Montreal. It received a big cult following over the years. 
There was a release by Severin a couple years ago on Blu-ray. One of the main people who was really pushing for this in the United States is a guy named Brian Collins who used to write a horror movie a day blog. He was a real fan of this movie and he got a lot of people talking about it in Los Angeles. And I know that he was a big proponent of, of, of this movie's cult fandom in the States. Oh, okay. Because I was kind of wondering, where is it coming from? Why is this a cult movie? Like, who yeah. started it? It's always interesting. There's always, like, a couple of, like, tastemakers who uh, <laughs> who kicked that shit off. Yeah, and it was available on a lot of those Mill Creek packs where they have, like, 55 movies and oh, of various, yeah. you know, quality. Because it was technically in public domain. So I think okay. people ripped a VHS of it and you would just find it on all those, you know, movie packs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw some uh, reviews on Letterboxd mentioning that as well, like uh, like a shitty version they saw on one of those packs. Yeah, I don't know what version you watched, but I watched this version that was basically a fan dub. Was that the same thing you saw? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I watched the director's cut, which is a couple minutes longer, the Severin oh. Blu-ray, yeah. Yeah, you can't really get Severin Blu-rays over here, so the, <laughs> the version I watched was just a fan-dop, which was actually pretty well done for a fan-dop, except um, it's a, it was kind of like a composite edit of two cuts, and the dub only exists in one of those cuts. Okay. So there were several scenes, especially in the beginning, like, I don't know, like in the first 40 minutes that were just French language without any subs. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone, the guy who, who, who ripped that version, he was like, um, yeah, those parts aren't in interesting anyway, so it's whatever. <laughs> 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 and I was like, yeah, okay, but yeah, you go into a movie and you're like, I want to watch this movie. I want to focus my attention on this movie, which yeah, really yeah, wasn't uh, like my French is good enough to the point that I can basically understand what they're saying, but I'm not gonna catch everything, especially in like a fuzzy VHS rip. That's, yeah, yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I watched the director's cut. There is some discussion about whether people like the director's cut more or less. Mm. The American release cut is about nine minutes shorter. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think maybe some people like that because it adds even more kind of like, oh, this makes no sense. Adds even more snoozy, drony yeah. <laughs> people walking around the house. <laughs> yeah, the, the director's cut definitely has some some scenes where more dialogue happens and more yeah. kind of like expository moments happen. Like there's a scene in, in the director's cut where when they are arriving at the house, yeah. the the two old folks who are there have this like throwaway line about like, oh, their other child, too, it's so sad that they died or whatever. And I was like, what child died? Huh? Like, but yeah, it like adds another <laughs> thing. And I feel like they and when they take that out of the cut for the American version, it's almost like you don't miss anything. But at the same time, there's like a weird you, there's other mentions to it. So you're kind of like, what are they talking about? Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to have it make more sense. But no, then if you watch it like I did, those scenes are just in French. And I'm like, I have no <laughs> idea what they're talking yeah. about, about some kid. Yeah, I think basically that that's what the composite cut is. Uh, they just made a director's cut before that was like um a yeah. thing that's uh, severin had released that makes sense so yeah well the synopsis for kathy's curse is a young girl is possessed by the spirit of her aunt who died as a child in a car accident soon 
people around her are beginning to mysteriously die off and it may have something to do with the creepy doll that Kathy found in the attic. So yeah, the movie opens with a really kind of ridiculous scene in a flashback where the dad comes in to find his daughter crying and then immediately is like, your, your mom's a bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what? They're, they're very, uh, you know, bitch this, bitch that. <laughs> yeah. Like all the kids as well, <laughs> all the time. Totally. Bitchy movie. <laughs> yeah, and so they take off in a car and get into a big accident, and then we flash forward to the new story, mm -hmm. which uh, I can understand why people call this movie a, a what-the-fuck movie because mm -hmm. it's weird that the plot really functions as any other kind of exorcist slash omen ripoff yeah. would function. But at the same time, there's just enough things that are like not fully explained or left to you to kind of figure out where you're like, I was, I was thinking, mm. okay, is this the daughter who survived the crash and she grew up? And now she has a daughter or yeah. is this the debt? Like, I was like, well, who are these people in relation to that? <laughs> yeah. See, I was going to ask you if you were able to like connect all the dots and I wasn't necessarily <laughs> because I was like making notes and trying to connect those dots. But then on letterbox, I saw someone like, uh, basically sum it up in a sentence. Um, so, uh, basically <laughs> the people in the flashback are the dad and the sister of yes. the father now in in yeah. present time so okay. that's all there is to it really <laughs> it's confusing it's very obtuse like uh, figure it out but also it doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah exactly it doesn't like exactly hamper your enjoyment of this movie because your enjoyment of this movie will really depend on how much you like weird obtuse stuff with a slightly sleazy european vibe to it yes um so you mentioned like exorcism and a lot of people do that. That's like the obvious comparison. Yeah. But to me, it felt more like a French Canadian version of uh, Ghost House, the Umberto Lenzi snooze fest. Because <laughs> I, um, when I was writing my letterbox, I was going to say that I, yeah. I watched this movie called The Child recently, which yeah. is a uh, regional horror film from the States. I think it was recently released in that American film horror film box set thing where they're doing yeah. regional films and a lot of people say that movie feels like an italian horror movie it's almost like yeah someone was trying to make fulci in a backyard in the states and i was going to write about how i felt like people say this is about this is kind of an exorcist ripoff or an omen ripoff but it felt more like an italian film to me but i couldn't figure out absolutely if it was if it felt like like what kind of Italian horror and I didn't want to say giallo because obviously it's not giallo-esque but it has a weird like Italian feeling to it. It is it is it's more like a supernatural it made me think a lot about uh like Italian horror movies as well like Lucio Filci as well uh, yeah but, but like I said uh Umberto Lenzi's ghost house it's, it's it's very slow and at a house and there's a doll and it's also kind of like a poltergeisty ripoff. As for the Lucio Filci stuff, I mean, there's there's a scene in this movie, you know, one of those like classic Lucio Filci people who just remain motionless. Yeah. So as not to spook the bugs that are crawling all over them, <laughs> which is like right out of a Lucio Filci movie. It's one of those things where it just had me wondering if people ever found that stuff scary. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, I don't love spiders. I don't need spir spiders to crawl all over me but i feel like you wouldn't be able to get away with that nowadays as calling that suspenseful yeah but yeah it's also stuff like that it, it's definitely more 
more like an Italian. It feels so Italian, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally Italian. More than Exorcist, I would say. Uh, I don't know where the Exorcist comparison necessarily comes from, except from like a possessed child, but it really ends there, especially in vibe. It's totally different from the Exorcist, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Possessed Child, she does that kind of thing where she's like swearing and stuff and there's maybe some similarities there with The Exorcist. But but yeah, it definitely little, feels yeah. like that whole scene where the old man is in a daze with all yeah, these yeah, animals. She has him like paralyzed basically. Yeah. yeah, and the way that that scene unfolds where he's sitting at a table and she's like looking at him obviously doing something with her mind and then the drawer from the table opens up and there's yeah. snakes and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like it's so, <laughs> it's so out of nowhere and doesn't fit in with the idea of what like an exorcist or an omen type movie would be. It, it feels yeah, very yeah, like Italian, like something that doesn't really make sense is going on, but yeah, it's yeah. presented in a f- freaky way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very full. And the whole movie feels that way in the sense of when you watch those Italian supernatural horror movies, they don't usually make sense either. No, no, (laughs) not in the slightest. Like stuff just happens. Yeah, I mean, it's it's supernatural and there's like gateways from hell or to hell or whatever and just accept the reality of the movie. And sure, that's fine, you know. I definitely don't need movies to make sense. Yeah, and and the whole like when when Kathy goes into the attic and finds this doll with its with its eyes sewn shut, there's also a painting up there with these glowing green eyes that feels very Italian too. Like you know we're going to get these shots later when supernatural things happen of the portrait with its glowing eyes. We're going to zoom in on the eyes yeah. like <laughs> Yeah, like very Italiany. But then it's French Canadian. Is this the first like French Canadian movie we've covered? I know there's, there was a segment on The Uncanny. The Uncanny, yeah. But other than that, this is probably the first it. one, isn't it? Yeah, so this was also Eddie Madelon's first English language film. He was a French filmmaker. And yeah, it was shot in Montreal, kind of in suburban-y Montreal areas. Uh, I, I, I read in an interview that they shot the film in six weeks hmm. uh, in the Westmont area of Montreal and that the house they used was for sale, so they like rented it for six weeks before it okay. sold, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, so the special effects in this movie, there's a lot of scenes with Kathy sort of taking out the the elderly. It's very like anti-elderly from her perspective. She's, yeah, she just yeah, keeps she killing like old, old people. people. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing them out of windows and stuff. Yeah, it seems like a really easy target for a little kid. So <laughs> I'm just going to focus on the old people. <laughs> what yeah, can they do? And, <laughs> And also, to circle back really quickly to that uh, scene with all the snakes and the rats and stuff, there yeah. was an interview where the director said at the end of the day, they one of the snakes went missing, and they were like, and we never found it. Oh, well. <laughs> so somebody probably bought that house and was like, ah, snake. <laughs> just make like a follow-up movie, like a little short movie, like 20 years later, person yeah. just finds a snake. <laughs> yeah, so this movie people really like it as a really sort of bonkers kind of ridiculous movie but i i yeah. like we were talking about i kind of felt like it was less of that and more like a functional italian supernatural film and i felt like there were elements of it that worked like some of those snakes and stuff when that scene first started happening was happening was kind of 
unnerving and there was a couple scenes where I was like okay I I understand what this movie is doing it's not one of those things where you look at it and you think where was this beam down from this is you know yeah. <laughs> I don't know I, I found most of it like little a little boring but in that Italian horror movie kind of way like if you've never seen an Italian horror movie I can see you going like okay this is weird and doesn't make sense but even just people on letterbox who I know are like big into horror movies just calling it absolutely insane and supreme supremely strange i was like are these po- are these people talking about kathy's curse or like i don't know Hausu or something yeah like, it just kind of like had me scratching my head about people's standards for what makes one of these like real mind melter movies yeah but yeah i don't know then I'm like Europe's biggest and only psycho pike fan. So what do I know? <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I, I think I think this movie's reputation got ahead of it a little bit. And I was expecting more of that outrageous. I, I think most of what this movie does that that is outrageous is the dialogue and the performances. Like there's a lot of very over-the-top performances that you know things that kind of happen for no reason that there's a scene where the elderly man and Kathy are together alone mm. and she gets him really drunk and all of a sudden he turns into like the worst person alive and he's screaming at like this woman who comes to visit that she's oh, yeah. like oh, you're a fat cow you bitch and all this <laughs> stuff and it's it's like kind of out of nowhere he hasn't acted like that before you know, and mm-hmm. so there's these very big swings on the pendulum from like normal scene to like uh, over the top wild scene. And I, yeah, I get yeah. that. I get that in terms of like the tone of the movies all over the place. And that's mm-hmm. the stuff that I found to be like the most entertaining was when, you know, the, the performances spike like that, like in the opening yeah. scene, your mom's a bitch or whatever. And I was like, holy shit, what? <laughs> what? But in terms of how this movie functions as a movie it's it's a little disjointed and weird but like i was following it (laughs) yeah yeah it's not hard to follow at all like i don't know like maybe i've just been like desensitized to weirdness in movies or or my triggers are just more of a visual kind you know yeah and uh, that's something this movie kind of lacked for me like I wasn't really going for the whole the whole like it's just too much of a European vibe for this European <laughs> you know like I go to movies for escapism not <laughs> like reliving my childhood of going to my grandparents house in the boonies with my French Belgian cousins yeah like dodging questions about whether or not I've seen Pretty Woman <laughs> I was like I'm 10 years old why would I have seen Pretty Woman <laughs> Jesus what is this <laughs> Uh, it just made it just made me think of that stuff, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's I don't go for that really. <laughs> yeah, I I also wonder if maybe from my perspective, I thought that maybe the Severin release that I watched, you know, has ironed it out into kind of more of a of a movie because you know if I watched some really really grotty you know VHS mm. rip with like yellowed colors and stuff and a and a full frame print maybe maybe i would think that it was more fucked up than it actually is because when you watch it on the severin blu-ray it's it looks really great and you know the editing is a little bit all over the place there's like you know it's not the most well put together movie in the world but at the same Mm -hmm. time they're composing shots and you know it, it functions mostly as a movie there was definitely some weird editing where things would happen when you wouldn't expect the cut to cut or whatever you know it's obviously not a perfect movie but 
yeah, the the Severn Blu-ray just looked good. It looked really good and 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 made maybe the the what the fuck aspect a little bit less of an impact. Too good, almost. Yeah. Okay. So I was wondering about that, like watching this grotty VHS rip. I'm like, maybe I should see like the upgrade. Maybe that'll make me like this a little bit more. But then again, like you're saying now, not necessarily. I guess. Maybe. Maybe not. You might still have the same problems. Like it's still kind mm-hmm. of slow, and you know, it's not like stylistic by any means. Yeah. It- yeah. It's mm, some people go for that though. Um, I'm I'm more like a person. I need like colors and 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 cool angles and <laughs> maybe a lot of fog to <laughs> like yeah. mask an ugly brown house in montreal <laughs> but yeah some people go for that i don't really yeah uh the only other thing i can think of off the top of my head to say about this movie was it was interesting that uh the woman that played kathy didn't really do anything else after this mm, okay which is weird i felt like she had a good a good face for a spooky kid movie you know (laughs) i guess yeah uh she didn't have the same booming career that bob (laughs) from house by the cemetery did (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i i felt like her and the and the woman that played the mom had like really like piercing eyes that fit the movie Mm -hmm. well there's a lot of stuff um with the mother where i guess we haven't even really talked about that where kathy's basically um, making the mother feel like she's crazy because she has just come out of a hospital and is, and is eventually driven back to the hospital by Kathy because nobody believes her that something is going on with Kathy. And yeah. the, the husband is very like selfish and obsessed with work, but also Classic loves. Man. Yeah, also loves his daughter Kathy. But you know, there's a scene where he basically yells at the wife like mm-hmm. about all of how her problems are ruining his life and stuff, and it's pretty pretty like oh shit (laughs) this guy sucks i did see one review on letterboxd where they dove into you know some of the themes of what this movie could be about with misogyny and like uh, because there is a bunch of stuff with the local kids in the director's cut where they're saying like all women are terrible and stuff and you can tell it's getting at something yeah but maybe not so much that i was would want more of that to be spelled out a little bit i think yeah yeah sometimes hard like sometimes it helps to like spell things out a little bit more but sometimes that kind of hurts it and you you better just like show it uh it's it's show don't tell in movies generally so i don't know it's a flawed movie but based on the vibe you're either gonna be into it or not really yeah totally it's definitely one to see yeah sure why not yeah (laughs) i mean i fell asleep in the last like 50 minutes so if (laughs) if anything amazing happened in those in those minutes just yeah i don't know the movie does is backloaded i would say <laughs> there is more at the end i feel like that's interesting than early on yeah like there's some like goopy effects and the guy's like face melts or something and there was yeah like, yeah i did I, see yeah, like okay. screenshots of that <laughs> so <laughs> i might remind rewind a little after the podcast yeah. and, and see what that was all about other than that i guess we we usually do talk about the canadian aspect and this movie was filmed in montreal feels very canadian uh, um, another movie that has that kind of wintry Canadian vibe. Um, I believe this movie didn't try and take place anywhere else. Um, no, I don't think so. Like it's. I don't think it was explicitly saying Montreal, but it also wasn't saying that it wasn't. Yeah, no, it's 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 it could be anywhere up northish, I'd say. Yeah, North America. So, but yeah, they never specify anything one way or the other. So. 
So right down the middle on the Canadian scale. Takes place that uh, shot here, but I mean, who it's knows? pretty Canadian. Yeah. Uh, because it's like all shot there and no one's pretending to be American. <laughs> so, you know, feels pretty Canadian to me. Cool. So Kathy's Curse, 1977. Uh, we'll circle back at the end of the episode about whether or not we think it belongs in Canadian canon. But now we'll get to 1989's Things. I brought you some of these to help you ease the pain. Thanks. I hope they work. I feel like I'm going to die. Kind of bored uh, looking for a cockroach snack. Can't see any of the delicious critters. This'll be crunchy in his tummy. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, the diagrams are so sick. It's getting kind of hot in here. What the fuck are you talking about? You never told me you were a kindergarten artist. Well, you never told me that you were an asshole either. I had to find out for myself. Starring Barry J. Gillis, Amberlynn, Bruce Roach, and others, directed by Andrew Jordan. This is a movie that was shot in Scarborough, Ontario. It is a very popular cult film. It was released on VHS a, a, a number of years back by Mondo and Intervision in a big box Canadian clamshell case, which is amazing. Sweet. <laughs> and Barry J. Gillis claimed that this movie cost $350,000 to make, but <laughs> later we found out that that was a claim that they were just saying to make it seem like their movie was a bigger and better movie than it actually is, and it was more closer to $40,000. Yeah, I mean, if that movie cost $300,000, Jesus. <laughs> uh, that's that's a big leap yeah. from forty. <laughs> yeah, and so this is a movie about an impotent husband driven by a fanatical desire to father children who forces his wife to undergo a dangerous experiment. The result, the birth of a multitude of monstrous things. <laughs> what it actually is about is a bunch <laughs> of hosers drinking beer in a house. <laughs> and, I don't know, watching TV and... <laughs> Just, it's and a, it's some, a hangout movie. Yeah. And, and then they're like, let's do Evil Dead. Yeah. Ish. <laughs> totally. Or maybe there's a little bit of alien in the uh, in the thing design. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Because, yeah, probably cheaper to have, like, little creatures and wave them around in front of the camera, I guess. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, when I was going through the the credits of this movie, it, it does have Amber Lynn in a, mm. a non-adult film role, which the filmmakers admitted was just so that there would be some more attention paid to their movie, that they got somebody from the world of adult film to be in their movie. Obviously, her name was a big name in the 80s, and so they filmed her scene after they finished the rest of the movie so that they could put her on the tape and hopefully boost sales. So she gets like top billing, even though she's only in one scene reading <laughs> off of cue cards. <laughs> yeah, it's one scene, but it's like split over a couple of segments. Yeah, so, they cut back to the TV reporter played by yeah, Amberlynn. Whenever the movie needed that like Amberlynn spike, they, <laughs> they would insert a bit in. <laughs> yeah, and, and in an interview with Barry, he said that the reason they were using cue cards was because he changed all the dialogue at the last minute and then they held and then he also said that they held them in the wrong place which is why you can tell where she's looking oh yeah <laughs> very obviously yeah which is funny i was looking at this movie's credits like from the opening credits alone you can see like it's all just andrew jordan and barry gillis basically but i don't know how closely it 
you paid attention to the end credits and all the shits that that's in there because the credits are long the credits are like they feel like 80 percent made up to be honest like this it's a bunch andrew jordan barry gillis and people who with similar names who makes it feel like okay they probably had help from family and friends or whatever but then the credits go on and on and on and suddenly it starts saying like special thanks to the city of new york and the city of la <laughs> and vanity fair <laughs> and i'm like what <laughs> i don't remember that yeah yeah check out the credits there's a bunch of shit in there i'm sure vanity fair had nothing to do with this movie, so i'm not sure why they're thanking them <laughs> i guess it's like an easy way of crediting a big name and even though they didn't do anything, Vanity Fair is like, oh, oh, we got thanked by things. <laughs> now, you have, before we get into the movie, you have an interesting uh, piece of things history that you recently purchased, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think you brought this to my attention that someone in another Discord bought this like Japanese book. Then you show me like a picture, I think of a drawing of things inside this book. Like someone drew the creature of things and I'm like, Jesus, what book is this? And I, I tracked it down, which wasn't too hard. I have this uh, Japanese site I use uh, where I order books from, from time to time. And uh, it's basically this book. Uh, the title translates to like the secret kaiju encyclopedia. Uh, with like a subtitle, like maybe unknown to you creatures. Because kaiju, it doesn't necessarily mean Godzilla or, or Gamera or Mothra or whatever. It just literally translates to weird creature. So there's a bunch of like weird stuff in this book. Not just things like you, you've like excerpts on Tammy and the T-Rex even. A movie that's soon going to be out on Blu-ray for the first time. Even though I think it skipped DVD. So like this isn't a new book either. Yeah. So this book, uh, I, I actually forgot to check out uh, check when it came out, but it must have been like several years ago, like if not like 10 or 15 years ago or whatever. But yeah, the people who made this book definitely know their stuff. And there's, a, there's an excerpt on things as well and even a drawing to go with it, which was kind of wild to me, like to find that stuff in some weird Japanese monster. Yeah, so cool. And uh there was also a Japanese DVD release with like really amazing DVD art, right? Uh, is that the thing you linked to me like earlier? Is, is that a DVD though? Isn't that just a VHS? No, it's a DVD. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard about that as well. Like uh, before you linked it to me, uh, it's a company called Highburn Video and it's an official release. Like yeah. it's like Barry J. Gillis approved. But yeah, the cover art's really sweet. I don't know if that cover art existed at the time. It's probably someone like um read uh made it from scratch now yeah. for this specific release i don't know when it came out though um i think uh it would have been a few years ago yeah 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 it also kind of funny it has like this sometimes the japanese do this they have like the original title but then a subtitle that makes more sense to yeah. japanese people and the subtitle reads um things nightmare bugs baby <laughs> <laughs> I wish that's what it was called here. Yeah, yeah, this is a pretty cool name. In Japanese, it's uh, ak Akumu, which, is, which means nightmare. And then it just basically says in katakana, which is the, the phonetic um, alphabet, Bagzu baby. <laughs> so, yeah. Amazing. It's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Japanese people love things, I guess. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, can you blame them? Yeah, no. There, There's a couple examples of movies that didn't, you know, take off here that, you know, got releases there that were really 
odd picks. Like mm-hmm. I know that there was a Mondo release of Cards of Death, and that movie had actually never been released in North America on VHS, and only ever existed on a weird Sony released tape in Japan. So it was odd because that's a movie that was made in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, conceivably for Americans, but here, here are the only releases in Japan. So. It's just yeah, kind of odd. Yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of similar to the thing that Paul was mentioning about like the Emeritus releases yeah. like made for uh, for Europe and like South America. Even. Yeah. Back to Things. This is a very notable movie. I feel like when people see Things, they can kind of like take their life in the pre-Things and post-Things, <laughs> <laughs> you know, way. Because you're never the same once you've seen Things. Absolutely. I know that they played it at Laser Blast Film Society here, or it might have been their WTF Film Festival. But there's always this kind of thing of people showing their friends this movie because mm-hmm. it's so like it's... Compared to something like Kathy's Curse, it this is like, this is an experience. It's it makes such little sense. It's so rambly. It's so you know just all over the place, wild, and the dialogue is so out of this world. It's just it's it's its own whole thing. And the only the only movie I think it could compare to that we've talked to on this podcast would be something like Science Crazed, where you're just like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like made me. It, it wasn't the first time that I'd seen things, but it's definitely in that science craze category more yeah. than Kathy's Curse. It's like I think the first time I saw things was ten years ago. Well, it was probably the last like five to six years ago. And we used to do this old friend of mine uh, used to organize these like bad movie marathons. You know, uh, I got exposed to a lot of like wild stuff I'd never seen before uh, during those. I think things was one of the most incomprehensible yeah. mindfuck things we had ever seen during one of those uh, 12 hour movie marathons, like start <laughs> early in the morning and just keep going and, and until like late at night. Uh, but yeah, we saw stuff like, uh, I don't know, like Robo Vampire, Baby Ghost, nice. Crippled Avengers and all that. Rollerblade 7, a bunch of like Donald G. Jackson, Scott <laughs> Shaw movies. But things was just its own thing (laughs) you know it was absolutely wild and yeah it still is yeah i had heard about it for a really long time and when that intervision oversized clamshell was released i i jumped on it Mm -hmm. and watched it and yeah blew me away (laughs) yeah Um, definitely one of the uh more singular film experiences that anyone could ever have is is sitting down and watching things either alone like i did or you know making your friends suffer through it with you it's definitely one of those movies that's like accidental uh, outsider art you know i feel like definitely emphasis on accidental yeah because uh you know art art to me is just anything that's like a little abstract and hard to define which this definitely is yeah but i also feel like the underlying cause of this movie being that way is because the people who worked on it had just not a lot of technical knowledge of making an actual movie and and that's not a bad thing that's not a diss it's just like the reality of amateur filmmaking and it's it's part of the charm yeah absolutely and it it feels like they were making things up as they go along because in an interview you know they admit that they didn't know how to make movies and they were kind of making it up as they went along and they had the idea of the story as an outline, which is like a man and a woman, 
you know, they can't have kids, so there's a doctor and there's monsters and that's what's going to, the movie's going to be about. But even Gillis himself was saying, you know, I was like staying up late writing new scenes and writing new dialogue as we were shooting. They shot for one month straight. He says, I must have enjoyed the torture of movie making (laughs) (laughs) because I'm still making movies with, you know, and, and this was kind of where he learned that <laughs> i guess yeah no i totally get that uh, it's it's just like everything about this movie like just basic stuff like the uh, like the slight undercranking and all of the adr and like it's all part of why it has this just supremely offbeat quality but all this stuff is also essentially patchwork yeah like trying to make sure it doesn't all fall apart at the seams and I think it's also why we like movies like this. Like, essentially, it's not a movie about making movies, which yeah. I also really like a lot. But it's because the seams of this movie are so apparent. Like, your perspective during watching it kind of shifts. So it's <laughs> like, like I remember ma- trying to make movies of our own back in the day. And, and it kind of, like, makes you... It helps you put that in perspective. Like, your own memories of trying to make movie magic happen without any money at all. And... It's, it's, it's cool to see yeah like you can see where they're what they're doing and why it is the way it is and and that just gives it like extra charm and yeah they did a good job i mean all things considering <laughs> yeah a, a lot had to go wrong for this movie to turn out so right <laughs> yeah exactly that's, that's such a good way to put it <laughs> yeah and you know like i said a lot of this stuff was being made up there's a scene where the guy puts his jacket in the freezer and there's an interview with barry where he's like why did you do that and his answer is i can't remember 100 percent why i put my jacket in the freezer but i think i wanted to get rid of the jacket so that i wouldn't have to wear it the entire movie and we needed a place to discover the tape recorder so i guess i just did that (laughs) see that's such a perfect little understated moment of weirdness without intentionally trying to do something weird and kooky yeah it's just like it just happened and it's like lightning in a bottle kind <laughs> yeah. of thing even though it's just like putting a jacket in a freezer but it's like who does that especially so matter-of-factly like oh yeah this this all makes sense yeah it's it's wild it's it's really wild there was also a anecdote in this interview about how uh the character of fred was played by bruce roach and he has this band called the familiar strangers And I thought this was interesting because apparently that guy who plays Fred used to own a video store in Toronto called the Video Gore Store. Oh, cool. Which I'm like, oh, amazing name. (laughs) And apparently that store that that Bruce owned was busted often by the police for stalking movies that were banned in Canada at the time. Jesus. (laughs) Which is just... Like, you hear a lot about, like, movies were banned and, you know, the video nasties and stuff, but I just mm-hmm. thought it was a fun anecdote to have, like, firsthand him saying, this guy owned a store and the cops showed up and were like, you have movies you're not supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> That's always so weird to think of that, like, the fact that movies were banned in Canada, because they all seem so chill about that stuff, but I guess there was a time when that wasn't the case. <laughs> oh, and, and I also, I, I should have mentioned this when we were talking about Amber Lynn being in this movie, but... He also said that there was a a point where he had written a scene, uh, Barry, where Amber and him were going to make out. But (laughs) her agent, who was also her boyfriend, was like, no, (laughs) 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 not going to happen. 
I mean that that's almost so innocent even so oh it's just a making out scene like I don't know yeah could have asked for something worse I guess <laughs> yeah so th- this movie has some really ridiculous dialogue the oh, one that yeah. sticks in my head all the time is is the guy has this art and he and the other the other friend is making fun of him and he said I didn't know you were a kindergarten artist to insult his ability and his comeback is oh I didn't know you were an asshole <laughs> <laughs> and you you always name drop the uh, the the blood like maple syrup oh yeah his blood's dripping like maple syrup <laughs> which that just could just be like the catchphrase for hoser horror really. yeah our blood's dripping like maple syrup totally <laughs> Yeah, this movie is maybe the most hosiery of all of the movies we've covered. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I also saw this interview uh, that Paul did about uh, things on YouTube where he was like talking about like the Scarborough stuff and like um, Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, what they did for Wayne's World as well. Yeah. yeah that was pretty interesting. This Yeah, this movie has tons of, of mullets. Mm. They, there's a lot of them sitting around drinking beer out of stubby bottles. Mm. But... Unlike Kathy's Curse, which was a little bit, you know, is it, is it not taking place in Canada? This movie actually, they set it in California. Oh, really? I didn't, didn't even notice that. Yeah, there's like a reference to it taking place in California. And the interview that I read there, their reasoning was that it was supposed to take somewhere that was very remote. Okay. And that they wanted to pretend that it was the United States. So they took out a map. And just were looking in California and found this place called Grizzly Flats and and thought, well, that name sounds like a very remote place and it seems remote on the map. So I'm just we're going to say Grizzly Flats, California is where this takes place, which I guess is, you know, I don't know if they were thinking about this has to take place in America because it's going to go to America as for audiences. But yeah, I don't don't think they were thinking that far. No, they're probably just like, what's a remote place that seems far away? So. Is is adding water to your beer when you're almost out of beer a thing in Canada? Oh no! Why would I ever do that? <laughs> that's that's another scene that's played so casually, where it just like fills his beer up with some water from the tap. I'm yeah, like, I guess it's like why? the the like I know that some people when they're almost out of shampoo will like put water in the bottle to get all the shampoo out of it. Yeah, okay, but that's different. Maybe it's like that. He doesn't want to make sure that he doesn't leave any drips at the bottom. <laughs> Or like when there's like 1% of beer left in the can and you fill it up with water, it still counts as beer and towards getting hammered. <laughs> there's got to be a lot of stuff that was improvised. I know that oh, on yeah. IMDb, they were, there's, you know, there's a scene where they squish a bug on the coffee table and apparently oh, yeah, that was, yeah. in, that was, you know, happened mm. because there was a bug there and they improvised it. Also, just to circle back again, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but with the ADR, so they did record all of their dialogue on the set, but the cameras were so loud that they couldn't use it, so then they had to ADR everything. Yeah. Um, and there was another interview that I read I read where the interviewer was kind of asking, oh, when you realized you had to redub all your dialogue, were you guys trying to maybe lean into being worse? Because, <laughs> because there is clips of the original... Di- uh, dialogue on YouTube and the interviewer was kind of saying your performances were were better in your original dialogue why are they so bad in the ADR and mm-hmm. Barry was like no we were trying to make it as good as possible <laughs> like uh, we weren't like trying to be bad when we ADR'd it that's just how it ended up happening that's also why this movie is good because they tried their best and everything and you can tell like even if it comes off like 
unintentionally funny or whatever you want to call it like so so bad it's good it's all bullshit like they tried their best to make a movie and they succeeded i i, I like the part where they're there's a couple of scenes of them watching tv and like commenting on whatever or before they're watching the tv one of them even goes like do they get the bestiality network up here <laughs> <laughs> like oh is that another like canadian specific thing then <laughs> Oh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I mean, <laughs> and, yeah. the and the universe of things that exist, as well <laughs> as um, one of the movies they're watching is called Groundhog's Day Massacre. Yeah. I forget who it was. The guy with the beard, but I forget his name. He comments like, ah, reliving old memories. Yeah. yeah. I think that was a movie that they made. Mm, oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Cool. I think it's oh. footage of a, one of their earlier attempts. So it at actually a movie. makes sense. They're actually reliving old memories. Yeah, but breaking it, the fourth wall. It, it, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense in the movie, though. It's like, oh, reliving old memories. Oh, you used to go around just killing people. Or. <laughs> Yeah, something that I always found weird that I didn't end up looking into is there's an original scan of the VHS for things, and there's a quote on it from the Atlantic Television News that says, something to scream about. And I've always just been like, what? Or or there's also a picture where there's like a quote from Variety or something about like, oh, gore is this, this film's trump card from Canada. And I'm just like, where were people being writing up? you know things in 19 yeah yeah did they even see this yeah <laughs> <laughs> or were they just like paid paid for quotes <laughs> it's so bizarre one thing i wanted to ask like things is just such a thing that exists and it's like where did this materialize from you know it's like these friends who got together and made a movie and and now we're still people discovering it to this day so do you think there's like people out there making new experiences like things right now i feel it's become harder if they are being made it's it's just like we live in an age of just excess and youtube and so yeah i just wonder about that like is someone making a new things right now or is that just like impossible to even imagine i don't know if it's i don't think it's impossible but i think i do think that the the ones that are being made that are weird and you know like this will always feel different because it'll probably be digital right you know there's yeah not a lot yeah of that does out. make yeah. a difference yeah but i think it's happening for sure yeah i mean it has to you know i think yeah. it's just like harder to discover those things <laughs> i mean it's, it's it's so weird though like just by the the count on letterbox i i i, I double checked the numbers in terms of like horror movies uh so things came out in 1989 and in 1989 just checking horror movies there were 366 movies yeah. horror movies made in letterbox like okay there's probably gonna be some shorts in there or like missing movies or whatever if you just compare that with the number of this year like to this date there have been triple the amount of horror movies made in 2019 yeah Yet the general consensus is that horror was thriving in the 80s. Yeah. But they're made a lot more now. Yeah, that's interesting. Is it because they're made in so much more volume that it's easier to not see those? I think so. I think a lot is just like getting lost in the crowd, so to speak. Um, 
which like i said it's just access now like you've not just got movies now you've got so many ways to keep yourself entertained that yeah you're never gonna see like every 2019 horror movie forget about it <laughs> exactly this came to my mind when you said like what's going on now i don't know if this is truly comparable but i know a lot of people are talking about this writer director damon packard who made a movie called reflections of evil which is like supposed to be really really weird yeah yeah he made a new one as well didn't he fatal pulse yeah i haven't seen him damon packard's work might be more artistic more like mm -hmm. very like leaning into the weird in order to you know be more like not not pretentious but because people seem to 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 make these make these movies out to be like really really weird so yeah, you yeah, know yeah. i mean I've, I've i've seen a couple of people like uh, that i follow on letterbox who reviewed it and they're not into like pretension stuff but they yeah. still really like those and i watched a trailer for fatal post like just i think two days ago or something or maybe even yesterday and it does look pretty interesting yeah it's supposed to be more like a 90s thriller like mm -hmm. I think Reflections of Evil is supposed to be really, really weird, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like maybe there's something there in terms of these kind of movies that feel beamed in from, from yeah. weird, weird places in someone's mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's good. I mean, it's it's good that stuff's still being made that's interesting yeah. in the first place. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. Um, so Things and Kathy's Curse, what do you think in terms about these films and whether or not they should be marked as essential on the Canadian canon? Yeah, that's always such a hard question when you think about it too much. So I'm not going to think about it too much. Look, Kathy's Curse, I didn't love it. I wouldn't recommend it to any, anyone necessarily unless you're looking at it and you're seeing like, I don't know, like uh, a trailer or whatever. And you think this is your jam, then go for it. Don't let me keep you from doing that. As for things, uh, yeah, you, you've got to see things. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think if I'm if I have these two movies beside one another and I'm standing with somebody who hasn't seen either of them, I'm showing them things, you know, yeah. nine times out of ten and Come on, and then totally. saying, check out Kathy's Curse when you have some time. So that's the episode of Hoser Horror on Mind Melt and Ripoffs. As, yeah. as mentioned earlier, you can find us on back-row.com. Uh, please go check out our interview with Paul from Exploitation. It is really cool. Lots of fun and fascinating things there about how he literally created uh, the word <laughs> that we all use now check all that out check out things watch kathy's curse and uh, we'll be back with another episode of hoser horror soon take off eh <laughs> <laughs>